Welcome back to 1001 Stories from Roy's Diner. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Thanks for joining us for another two episodes of Suspense, Last Night and Man Without a Body. Many people have been confused with the phrase forgiveness of taxes. But remember this, there is no forgiveness of the second installment of your 1942 federal income tax. This installment must be paid by midnight tonight. So be sure to put your check in the mail before that time. This is the man in black, here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Heading our Hollywood cast is a young lady known simply as Margot, whose talent for the art of suspense has been heard before on this series. Tonight, Margot, using the name of Jacqueline Blaine, tells of strange happenings on a dude ranch, including the hurried and unexplained departure of an important guest. Appearing with Margot is Mr. Kent Smith, a newcomer to our microphone, as Gil Blaine, a young man forced by unrelenting circumstances into many odd and mysterious actions. Margot will soon be seen in Behind the Rising Sun, and Ken Smith is currently appearing in This Land is Mine, both RKO radio productions. Story by Cornell Woolrich called Last Night is tonight's tale of suspense. If you have been with us on these Tuesday nights, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you, stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so it is with the last night and the performances of Margot and Kent Smith we again hope to keep you in suspense. Miss Lane, Miss Lane, it's late. Ain't you thinking on getting up at all? Huh? Oh, oh yes. Oh. I'll be down in a minute, Leona. Go away now. I lay there looking up at the ceiling. Strange, I... I hadn't slept well last night. All night I had tossed and turned. Worry. That's what it was. Worry. The weekend was over and Gil and I hadn't raised the $2,500. We were right back where we started from. Stuck here in the Hudson Valley with our dude ranch that wasn't paying expenses. And the debts piling up like new snow. That was Gil in the shower. I lay still and listened to the hiss of the water. Poor Gil. It had been a tough weekend for him, trying to be nice to Mr. Burroughs, neglecting the other guests to play up to him, flattering him, agreeing with everything he said. What was the use? I knew he'd never lend us the money. I knew it from the first. I never even wanted to invite him and his secretary up, but Gil had pinned his hopes on it. He'd worked so hard. <laughs> Worked. Funny word to apply to it. 
Maybe if Gil had done some real work now and then, instead... Morning, Jackie. Morning. Well, how did you make out? How did you make out with Mr. Burroughs? Gil, I'm talking to you. Is he still here? Who? Mr. Burroughs. Oh, no, he left. Well, I'm glad I didn't have to say goodbye to him. I got pretty tired of being nice to him, didn't you? Yeah. Took the 8 o'clock train? 8 o'clock. He took the milk train. The milk train? How do you know? Well, I drove him to the station. That's how I know. Well, what were you doing up at that hour? Well, I... I hadn't come to bed yet, that's all. But what got into him? The milk train, why... That hits here about 4.30 in the morning, doesn't it? About? Well, I can't get it into my head why they should bolt off like that. They? He went alone. His secretary's still here. You mean he... He left without Marsh? Yeah. Marsh was up in his room sleeping at the time. I guess Burroughs didn't want to wait for him. He went off and left his secretary behind? Well, now, that's the strangest thing I ever heard of. Why did he bring him in the first place? You... You had a row with him, Gil. He turned you down and you... You let it get the best of you. I did not. That's why he suddenly decided to leave like that. I did not, I tell you. Why should I say I didn't if I did? Oh, I don't know. Everything is so mixed up. Gil, dear... Want to toss me my dressing gown? It's on the chair there. Oh, here you are, honey. Oh, oh. Jackie? Yes? Jackie, I got it out of them. What? I got the 2500 Gil! He, uh, he finally gave in when I was driving him to the station. Well, you got all of it? The works. I didn't think he would. I mean... The way he was acting. Yes, I know, I know, but uh, he, he began to soften up after you'd gone to bed. When I asked him, he came through. But, Gil, you mean... You mean he carries that much cash around with him? Well, there it is, isn't it? That's funny. You know, he came to me only yesterday and asked me where he could cash a $25 check. Oh, yes, I know about that. I cashed it for him. But the 2500 Well, he, he had that all ready for deposit when he got back to town Monday. Couldn't get it to the bank on time on Friday. Oh. He, he didn't want to touch it, but when I told him I'd rather have cash than the check, well, he just went the whole way and accommodated me. Well, uh, if there wasn't any friction, why did he leave at such an unearthly hour? I don't know. But, Gil... And I don't care. Oh, look, baby. We got the money. Let's just be thankful. Well, of course I'm thankful. It's just that... Miss Blaine! Miss Blaine! Yes, Leona? Well, just about to give you two up. Miss Rowe and Mr. Carmen's almost finished with the breakfast. Ain't you two coming? Yes, in a minute, Leona. Come on, Gil. Let's hurry. It's hard enough to get paying guests without neglecting the ones we have. Well, I done fixed up Mr. Burroughs' room while I was waiting for Mr. you. Mr. Burroughs' room, but... You didn't I... have to bother. He won't be using it anymore. He won't? No, he left. You done left? Why, yes. Leona, what's the matter? Then what about all them suits and things you left hanging up in the closet? His clothes... Left in the closet? What about that, Gil? Well, he... He left in an awful hurry, that's all. Oh, leave me alone. Don't let's talk about it. All right. But somehow... I feel that something very strange happened last night. take any more stuff from him. Next time he tries it, it'll be too bad for him. Here comes Gil and Jackie. Yeah. 
Have some more eggs, Carmen? Oh, well, I... Uh... Oh, hello, Gil. Oh, hello, Jackie. Gil. What are you two so chummy about? Why, we were just talking uh, about Mr. Burroughs. Mr. Burroughs? Why, yes. Mr. Carmen had an appointment to play golf with him today. Golf? Yeah. Yes, fine player, fine player. Oh, uh, by the way, where is he? I haven't seen him all morning. He's, uh, he's not here. Not here? Well, what do you mean? He's left. He left? Yes, can't a guy leave if he wants to? Sure, sure I... Well, for one, I'm glad he was an old goat. <laughs> He's mad because he made a pass at her. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't like him too well either, Carmen. You see, Carmen had a run-in with him back in the days of bootleg gin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not talk about it. Gil's right. Mr. Burroughs is gone. Let's forget it. What's this? Oh, Mr. Mars. What did you say about Mr. Burroughs leaving? Do we have to go through this again? Gil, please. Uh, Mr. Burroughs left on an early train. Oh, you're joking. No. No, I'm not. But I don't understand. Well, you're his secretary. You ought to know what he's going to do. That's right, Gil. I should know. That's why it's so strange. He told me we definitely were going to stay until this afternoon. Well, he, uh, he changed his mind. Blaine, Frank. Oh, yes, and she's here. Just a minute. Miss Blaine. Miss Blaine, telephone. Coming. Hello. Mrs. Blaine? Yes? This is Mrs. Burroughs. Oh, how do you do? Uh, we were awfully sorry you couldn't come out with Mr. Burroughs for the weekend. I'm sure you have I think it was it. most inconsiderate of Homer not to let me know he was staying over an additional day. And you can tell him so for me. I think the least he could have done was phone me or send a wire. But Mrs. Burroughs... I don't doubt he finds it attractive up there. Mrs. Burroughs, wait a minute. He, he isn't here anymore. He did leave early this morning. Early this morning? What do you mean? Well, he took an early train. Uh, he should have been in at, uh, now let me see, at 8.30 this morning. 8.30? 8, well then where is he? Why hasn't he come? Well, maybe he went directly to his office. Oh, no, I called his office. They haven't heard from him. You see, that's why I'm calling you. Oh, I don't understand all this. It, it does seem that Marsh would at least get in touch Marsh? with me. Well, uh, Marsh is still here, Mrs. Burroughs. Marsh is still there? Yes. He went off without Marsh? Oh, oh, now I know there's something wrong. Why, he's never done that before. Please, please, Mrs. Burroughs, I, I'm sure there's nothing wrong. He's just... Well, uh, I, I'd better let you talk to Marsh. Well, yes. Yes, please, please get him. Mr. Marsh, Mr. Marsh, Mrs. Burroughs is on the phone. She wants to talk to you. Better take the extension in the front room. All right. She's very upset. We have to calm her. Hello, Mrs. Burroughs. Marsh is coming. Oh, something's wrong. I know it. Hello? Hello, Mrs. Burroughs. Oh, Marsh, is that you? Yes. Marsh, did you know Mr. Burroughs was going to leave? No, he didn't say anything to me. Well, Mrs. Blaine says he's left. Should have been here, and he isn't. Well, uh, I don't... He, uh... he probably was just delayed. Oh, no, no. Something's happened. Charles, uh, uh, Marsh, he, he had that, um, th that important package in his inside pocket. He did? Yes. Oh, I don't know what to do. Shall I call the police? The police? Well, that's not necessary. Uh, Mrs. Blaine's right. Uh, let me take care of it. I'll wait a few hours, and if he hasn't shown up by oh, then... all right. Do what you think best. Hello? Hello? She hung out, Mrs. Blaine. Important packet. The $2,500. The $2,500 Gil got. Oh, Gil. <laughs> 
That was Mrs. Burroughs. She was awfully upset. Well, Burroughs didn't show up. Uh, she wants me to call the police. The police? Oh, now, wait a minute. You don't have to call the police. Well, why shouldn't I call the police? After all, Mr. Burroughs is missing. Oh, he may show up yet. Certainly, he may show up yet. Common's right. You don't have to call the police now. And why don't you want the police? Well, why... There's uh, something strange here, all right. Why didn't Mr. Burroughs say a word to me about leaving? Well, you were asleep. I, I guess he didn't want to waken you. Oh, I've never known him to be considerate in my life. I suppose he knew what he was doing. I'm not so sure. What do you mean? Well, if he knew what he was doing, why did he leave his return ticket on the dresser? A strange silence fell over the entire group. Marsh was suspicious. Soon he would call the police. And I had a strong feeling that Gil knew more about this than he let on. After breakfast, the group broke up, and I stayed to help Leona clear the table, and I saw Gil and Carmen walk out on the porch together. Cigarette, Gil? Yeah. Thanks. Here. Fine morning. You didn't ask me out here to speak about the weather. No. No, I didn't. I want the money you owe me. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was due long ago. With the interest, it adds up to 2500 I can't pay you now. Why not? You said you'd pay it today. Well, it's not that I haven't got it. It's... It's what? Well, it's... Well, everything's so mixed up now. You know... You mean Burroughs' disappearance? Look, give me another 24 hours. I'd like to, Gil, but... Gil, Gil! Here comes Jackie. All right, 24 hours and no more. I'm sorry if I'm interrupting something important. Oh, no, no. We are just talking about the weather. It is lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I better get up to the golf course. Oh, say, Gil, could you lend me the car to drive up? It's pretty far, and I'll do plenty of walking when I get there. Well, as a matter of fact, Carmen, I'm going to use it myself. Oh. Well, in that case, I'd better start walking. So long. Goodbye. He was after the money, wasn't he? Yeah, but I didn't give it to him. Why not? Mr. Burroughs gave it to you, and we do owe it to Carmen. Can't you leave me alone for a minute? Say, you two, why the frown? Hello, Miss Robles. I don't want to interrupt a private fight, so I'll state my business quickly. How about lending me the car, Gil? I want to drive I'm in... sorry, Miss Robles, but I need it. I'm, I'm driving into town, and right now. Gil drove off. The rest of the day went by in a haze. Gil didn't come back. He stayed away all day without even phoning me. He had never done that before. It almost seemed as though he avoided me intentionally. Toward evening, as I was putting the finishing touches on dinner, Leona came up to me. There's a man here to see you, Miss Blaine. Where is he? In the front room. Well, uh, who is it? Somebody I ain't never seen before. All right, I'll talk to him. Uh, you look after things here, Leona. Yes, and I will. Good evening. My name's Ward. I'm Mrs. Blaine. You wanted to see me? I wanted to have a few words with Mr. Blaine. Oh, I see. What was it about? You know what it's about. It's about Burroughs. His office sent me down. Mr. Burroughs? What about him? He was a guest here, wasn't he? Yes. When did he leave? Last night. My husband drove him to the station. Really? How interesting. What do you mean? We happen to know that he never got on that train. Oh. I thought maybe your husband could tell me a few things I'd like to know. I'll see if he's here. Just a moment. I'd also like to see some of the other guests. Well, I'm sorry, but uh, nobody's here just now. Miss Robles is out walking, and Mr. Carmen hasn't... Carmen. Carmen. A short, fat Italian? Why, yes. 
How did you know? Mr. Burroughs always ran into him before. Now I'd like to see your husband. Please sit down. I'll see if I can find him. Thank you. Leona, Leona. Yes, Miss Blake? Has Mr. Gill come back yet? Oh, no, ma'am. I ain't seen him since he drove off this morning. I see. Well, uh, tell the gentleman to wait. I'm going out on the veranda. I went out on the veranda. Up and down the length of the porch and back again I walked. My eyes glued to the dark highway that ran past the house. Hoping against hope that Gil would show up before the detective came looking for me. Gil had the 2500 on him. Burroughs' cash. That important package Mrs. Burroughs spoke of to Marsh. I had to see Gil first and... Suddenly I, I saw a car speeding down the road. Gil's car. I could tell by the one dim headlight. It tore through the dark at top speed. Then swerved through our gate and into the garage... I was about to run down the steps when another pair of headlights split the gloom of the highway. As the car came on, I recognized the taxi from town. A figure climbed out quickly. Gil! Jackie, did you see the car? Our car? Yes, Gil. It, it, it went toward the garage. Who was driving it? Well, I, I couldn't see. What is it, Gil? Are you in... No time to talk. No time to talk. Where are you going? The garage. I'm coming with you. The doors are closed. There. Nobody here. Anyone in the car? No. Whoever it was beat it. Oh. I'd like to know who it was. Gil, I don't understand what this is all about. Well, frankly, I don't either. I, well, that is, I was parked in front of the store in town. I came out and saw somebody hop in my car and drive off like mad. Well, that's odd. I don't know what he was after, but I don't think he got it. I chased the car all the way here in the taxi. I saw it coming down the road. I thought it was you. Well, let's go back to the house. Gil. Yes? Gil, there's somebody here to see you, a man named Ward. Ward? Who's he? What does he want? He wants to talk to you about Burroughs. He's a detective. Oh. And, uh... You'd better let me have the wallet with the money, just to be on the safe side. Now, look, I don't want you mixed up in anything. Well, I'll be all right. Please, give it to me. Well, okay. Now you'll have to go in and talk to him. Yeah, I suppose so. I went up to my room and lay there in the dark, trying to distinguish the murmur of voices from below. But all I could hear was a blur of sound. I got the 25,000. Something's happened. The next time it'll be too bad for him. He made a pass at me. He left in a hurry. Let me alone. Why don't you want the police? Why don't you want the police? Why don't you want the police? Jackie, you awake? Yes. Here, sit down, Gil. You look tired. Yeah, I am. Very. What did Ward say? Not much, but I know he's suspicious. He's going to stay tonight. Oh. Well, let's get to bed. I'm tired. Oh. Oh, by the way, did did you see the key to the rumble seat? The key to the rumble seat? I oh, know. 
Must have lost it. <sighs> Good night. Gil, you've never told me. You've never told me one way or the other. Gil, you've got to tell me. <sighs> All right. All right, Jackie. I will. Burroughs never gave me the 2500 He refused me. We quarreled, and I was mad. I suppose he was afraid of me, afraid of what I might do to him. Anyway, that's why he left so suddenly. Made me drive him to the station. Did you see him get on the train? No, I left him at the station. Left my car there and walked down the street. I was sore. I had to think. I heard the train come and go. And when I went back, Burroughs was gone. I got in the car and drove home. And the 2500 well, I lied when he said he had that cash. Then where did you get it? Remember the $25 check I cashed for him? Yes. I added two zeros after the 25 Oh, Gil. I wrote in the word 100. There was a space for it made to order. Then I cashed it. Gil, Gil. Oh, I know I'm low, Jackie, but I didn't kill him. I didn't. Then what became of him? Where is he? I don't know. I wish I did. What's that? Somebody's out there. Whoever it is is trying to open the garage door. I, I can't see who it is. It's not a woman. Not Miss Robles. I can see that much. It could be Carmen. What are you doing in that drawer? Just getting this gun. Now, quiet. No, Gil. Give me that gun. You can't shoot anybody in the dark like that. Please, Jackie. I'm going to turn on the lights. Don't, Jackie. Yes, Gil. Oh, he's running away. Gone. Who was it? I couldn't see. Could you? No, Gil. Well, now it just means waiting until the next time. Oh, Jackie, what am I going to do? I don't know, dear, but we'll get out of it somehow. How? I'm, I'm all mixed up. There's one clear thing. Somebody is awfully interested in that car. I lay awake until the sun was up. Then a shallow, feverish sleep came. And when I awoke, it was almost evening. Gil's bed was empty. There were the indistinct sounds of life in the house below. I rose, and as my mind cleared, my words of the night before broke through the edges of my consciousness. There's one clear thing. Somebody is awfully interested in that car. I dressed slowly. A tantalizing thought hovered just beyond my grasp. The car. What was there about the car? I slowly walked down the hallway, my eyes half closed, thinking I had to talk to Gil. Leona? Leona? Yes, sir? Uh, where's Mr. Gil? Well, he done went to town with Mr. Ward. He went with Ward? Yes, sir, right after breakfast. Mr. Carmen gave him a lift down and... Carmen? Uh, yes, sir, but Mr. Gil, he done left you this note. Oh, let me see it. Jackie, I've gone downtown with Ward. I'm going to tell him... A, tell him about the check. And whatever happens will have to happen. No, Gil. No, Gil, no. Mr. Jacqueline! Leon, I've got to stop him. I'm going to drive to town. I've got to get 
there before, Gil. Mrs. Blaine? Uh, Mrs. Blaine, uh, uh, where are you going? I'm going to town, Mr. Marsh. Well, may I come along? Well, I, uh... Oh, I, I suppose so. Hurry up and get in. You don't mind me driving so fast. I'm in a terrible hurry. No. Pull down the next side road. What? I said pull down the next side road. A gun? Yes, a gun. Now do as I say. There's something in this car I want. I won't. I must get to Gill. Let go of that wheel. Let go of that wheel. I said there's something here I want. There's a car coming. Let go. tried to move. Miraculously, we were alive. The other car had careened beyond us up the road. I saw that the side was smashed in. Then I heard Marsha's voice. I ought to kill you for this. That was a police car. Keep your mouth shut. Here he comes now. Now remember, there's a gun pointing at your back. Hey, you maniacs. What's the idea? You're trying to kill somebody? Oh, sorry, officer. We had a little trouble with the steering wheel. Well, you won't have any more trouble with it. This is the end of your license. Oh, see here, officer. I'm in a terrible hurry. If you if you let me drive to the station... Ah, I'll... wait a minute, buddy. Let's have your names. What's yours? Come on. Uh, Marsh. Charles Marsh. Charles Marsh. Uh, what's yours, lady? Mrs. Gilbert Blaine. Uh, and, uh, and yours? Well, come on. What's yours? What's your name? Who are you talking to? That guy in the rumble seat. The rumble seat? Mr. Burroughs. Oh, it's Burroughs, is it? Well, why don't you say so? Hey, what are you, a wise guy sitting there like a mummy? Come on, answer me, will you? I... Hey, wait a minute. This guy's dead. You did this. The rumble seat flew open when we crashed. Officer, he's got a gun. He murdered that man. I'm warning you. Keep back or I'll... Oh. That takes care of him. You're all right now, sister. Yes. I'm all right now. Well, that job's finished. Nothing left for me to do but go back to town. So it was Marsh after all. Yeah. I don't understand why. He was contemplating a change from secretary to husband. Naturally, with Mr. Burroughs dead, Mrs. Burroughs would inherit all the money. I see. Marsh followed Gill and Mr. Burroughs that night to the station. When Gill was gone, he killed Burroughs. Stuffing him into the rumble seat, locked it, and kept the key. Well, the thing I don't understand is why Marsh kept fiddling with the car. What was it that he wanted? Seems to me he was in the clear if he left well enough alone. Uh-huh. That's what tripped him up. Remember when he talked to Mrs. Burroughs on the phone? They said something about an important package? Well, yes. I assumed it to be the 2500 Gill told me about. But of course it wasn't. There was a package of letters that Mr. Burroughs had gotten hold of. I get it. Those letters were written by Marsh to Mrs. Burroughs. Right. And they would incriminate him. He found out about them after the murder. Right again. Oh. He had to get them to make it perfect. Well, I guess I'll shove off. So long and uh, thanks. Oh, uh, by the way, you may want to deposit, uh, oh, say, $2,500 to Mr. Burroughs' account. Yeah, I uh, see what you mean. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye. Jackie? Yes? Our debts, there's still $2,500 that have to come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. We went a long way around to get right back where we started from. 
We come through all that trouble and end up broke. Yes, darling. That's the way it ends. So closes the story called Last Night, starring Margot and Kent Smith. Tonight's tale of suspense. This is your narrator, the man in black, who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense with us again next Tuesday when John Sutton and George Zuko will star in the suspense play by John Dixon Carr called The Man Without a Body. The producer of these broadcasts is William Spear with Ted Bliss, the director, Lud Gluskin, and Lucian Mahowick, conductor and composer, and Cornell Woolrich, the author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special, limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001stories at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Suspense. This is the Man in Black, here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. In our starring Hollywood cast tonight are Mr. John Sutton, who appears as a young English doctor, Jim Norwood, who knew a great deal more than he admitted concerning the strange events which we are about to relate. And Mr. George Zuko, who plays the village curate, the Reverend Arthur Morley. Our story, and it bears none but a coincidental resemblance to H.G. Wells' famous short novel, The Invisible Man, 
is by John Dixon Carr and is called The Man Without a Body, tonight's tale of suspense. If you have been with us on these Tuesday nights, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you. And so it is with The Man Without a Body and the performances of John Sutton and George Zuko, we again hope to keep you in... Suspense. A lonely beach of low white sand hills edged by the surf of the North Sea. And back from the beach, drowsing as it has drowsed for ten centuries, lies the village of Aldbridge in Suffolk. There is the seawall, now defaced by air raid shelters. And there are the rolling grain fields, the thatched white cottages, the spire of St. Luke's Church above the oak trees. Ancient and bell-haunted, lost among hedgerows, this village could never cause consternation in London newspaper offices. And yet, on that warm night nearly four years ago... This time it's really happened. A man without a body, completely invisible. Copy, boy. Copy, boy. Look at this dispatch. Reign of terror in Suffolk Village. Has another of H.G. Wells' romances come true? An invisible man? I can't believe it. Well, what's the matter with that village? They all gone scatty? Mr. George Wellman, builder, states that as he was returning home along the main road from Bury St. Edmunds... He distinctly saw a man's hat without any head under it, moving towards him about six feet above the ground. Oh, George, wasn't it going to be full of beer? We can't use this story. Copy, boy. Even more surprising evidence was given by the Reverend Arthur Morley, vicar of St. Luke's Church. Who? The parson? You don't think he was full of beer? One question above all agitates the village. Who is Professor Ansmith? Who is this elderly American, said to be an inventor, who has settled at Aldridge and leased a part of the house belonging to the local doctor? Out of some terrifying workshop, to strike like a maniac, where least expected, has there at last emerged... A real invisible man? The church of St. Luke, Aldridge, on that same Sunday evening. The evening service is over now, though an echo bell still lingers. In the vestry at the rear of the church, where white surplices hang like ghosts, the Reverend Arthur Morley sits with his daughter Janice. It is a stone room of painted windows, now many colored in the sunset. And here is the drowsy summer light turns to dusk. Janice, I don't believe it. I know, Father. I saw it with my own eyes, yet I don't believe it. You don't think we were dreaming, do you? No, Father. We weren't dreaming. If this goes on, the whole village will be in a frenzy. But what can I do? We could go to Professor Ansmith and ask him straight out. Ask him whether he's responsible for these... Yes. I wonder, Janice. A man isn't hurting anybody, you know. You couldn't ask for a quieter person or a better neighbor. And yet... What's that? Father, you are upset. It's only Mr. Emmett coming down from the belfry. Emmett? Oh, yes, of course. Is that you, Mr. Emmett? Uh, it's me, all right, sir. And very much in the flesh. Did you think I was the invisible man? Mr. Emmett, I forbid you to mention that subject. Very good, sir. 
But there's others begging your pardon that do mention it. Oh, yes, yes, forgive me. I spoke too sharply. Oh, that's all right, sir. No harm done, no bones broken. Mind you not that I hold with this talk about invisible men. It ain't natural, I say. It ain't hardly Christian. I'm a greengrocer by trade, and I believe in what I can weigh and feel and... What's the matter, Mr. Emmett? Is anything wrong? Excuse me, sir. And you too, miss. Do you see anybody in this room except us? No, of course not. Why? Because I, I could have sworn something brushed past me just now. You're imagining things, Mr. Emmett. Yes, sir, I, I dare say. There's but nobody uh, hidden in the belfry tower, I hope. No, sir. I had a look-see. And what's more, there's not going to be anybody up there once I've locked the door. Now, let the blighter try and get in. Oh, please, Mr. Emmett. And you too, Father. You're talking about this invisible man as though... as though he actually existed. There's something funny going on, miss. You can't deny that. No, none of us can deny it. And what's more, sir, it's getting pretty dark in here. Hadn't you and Miss Janice better get along to the vicarage while I lock up? No, we can't go just yet, Mr. Emmett. We're expecting Dr. Norwood. Dr. Jim Norwood, sir? What does he say about all this? Oh, you might ask him yourself, Miss Remit. I think that's probably him now. Come in. The vestry door's not locked. Oh, hello, Padre. Hello, Janice. I'm sorry I'm late. Oh, hello, Jim. You seem a good deal out of breath. I am out of breath, Janice, because there's blue blazes to pay down in the village. Not more trouble. Yes, I'm afraid so. They're holding a mass meeting at the Coach and Horses, and they're ready to murder Professor Ansmith. If this invisible man cuts any more capers, we may see a real old-fashioned lynching in an English village. Now, look here, my boy. This has got to stop. I know that, Padre, but how are we going to stop it? Sit down there, Jim, across the table from me. Yes, sir. First of all, what do you know about this Professor Ansmith? Nothing, sir. Nothing at all. But you've been part of your house to him. Oh, my dear Padre, that house is twice as big as I can possibly manage. I was only too glad to get a tenant. He gave you references, I imagine? Yes, but I didn't bother to check them. He's a quiet old boy. Pays his rent on the dot. Never does anything except read and go for long walks. Are you quite sure of that, Jim? The village has war nerves, that's all. With the camouflage aerodrome in the neighborhood, they're apt to imagine anything. True, perhaps, but... That talk about dynamos humming in the old boy's room and blue lights flashing is rubbish out of a sensational film. They imagine the whole thing. Finally, this crazy story about an invisible man playing the gramophone. Why, that's... It's not a crazy story, Jim. Janice and I saw it happen. You what? Last night, about half past nine, Janice and I were out for a walk in the lane that runs past your house. On the way, we met Willie Kendrick, and he joined us. Well, sir? Listen, Jim. On that side of the house, there's a little square room with two windows and no furniture except a round table and a couple of chairs. Do you know the one we mean? Yes, of course. Professor Ansmith uses it. What about the room? It wasn't quite blackout time. The windows were up. The curtains weren't drawn. And the room was brightly lighted. On the table stood an old-fashioned gramophone with a horn and a crank handle. Beside it lay a pair of white cotton gloves, like, like gardener's gloves. The gramophone was playing away for dear life, but there was nobody in the room. Janice thought that was a bit odd, a gramophone going full tilt with nobody there, and called my attention to it. Just then, the gramophone started to run down. We could hear the record slow and go off key. As it did so... Well, sir, go on. 
As it did so, those white gloves got up off the table. Got up off the table? Got up off the table, took hold of the gramophone, and wound it up again. <laughs> Mr. Ellis, what on earth are you doing? Uh, I dropped some candlesticks. So I see. Please pick them up again. Yes, Padre, are you serious? Perfectly serious. A pair of gloves without any hands inside them? Yes. But what did they do exactly? The left-hand glove steadied the gramophone. The right-hand glove wound it up. Then they both hung in the air, beating time to the music. It should have been funny. I can only assure you it was not funny. So what happened then? Oh, Jim, it was horrible. Willie Kendrick let out a yell and ran down the lane between the apple trees as though the devil were after him. I can't say I blame him. Father and I just stood there and... and... Stared is the word, my dear. Yes, stared. I can't forget any of it. The three-legged table and the whirling record and the blue flowers on the wallpaper. But there was nobody there. We could see past the table and under the table and all over the room. And there was nobody there. Except the man without any body. Confound the man without any body. Father... Suppose it is true. As a clergyman, my dear, I prefer to remain agnostic. This thing's a trick. Yes, but how's it done and why? That's the whole point, Jim. What worries me is the effect on our people here. We call ourselves intelligent, and yet, look at us. Even Mr. Emmett there. Hey, hey, what's that about me, sir? A few minutes ago, you thought something brushed past you when you were coming down the stairs from the bell tower. Now, didn't you? Well, uh, yes, sir. You see what I mean, Jim? But I didn't really think so, sir. Not really. It was imagination, just like the doctor said. Because I searched that tower. I locked the door afterwards. Exactly. But the mere force of suggestion, nothing more, might lead you to believe. That's not suggestion, Father. Sir, I'll take my Bible oath. There's nobody in that belfry. Bells can't ring by themselves, old man. There's somebody pulling the rope up there, and we're going to find out who it is. Now, one moment, all of you. What's wrong, Padre? You're as white as a ghost. This blasphemous mockery, it seems, extends even to the church. Very well. You will stay with Janice, my boy. Emmett and I will collar this invisible man. Why can't I go, too? I don't believe in this, but I should prefer to have someone with Janice. You're not afraid, Mr. Emmett? If, if it's alive, sir, I'm not afraid of it. And if it's dead, well, well, you're not afraid of it. The tower door's open, sir. I'm ready. Don't do it, Father. Don't go. You can't help them, Janice. Sit down here. Take it easy. Jim Norwood, what's wrong with you? Wrong with me? You've got an odd look, too. And the light's fading. And the surpluses look like ghosts. And in another minute, that bell would drive me mad. Suppose he has got in. Oh. The invisible man. Oh, don't talk rot. As there are sounds that the ear cannot hear, so there are colors that the eye cannot see. I read that somewhere. He hasn't hurt anybody yet. But suppose he turns nasty and does hurt somebody. He can't hurt anybody. How do you know? Janice, listen to me. Take my hand. Oh, but Jim... This... I want to tell you a few things you won't understand. I don't ask you to understand. I just ask you to remember. Well, what is it? The first is a question... If you were a government official and wanted to find an expert on camouflage, where would you go? An expert on camouflage? Yes. And the second point is this. I studied medicine in Germany. Oh, I know that, but that's One quite... night on a bet, I hid backstage at the Winter Garden Theater in Berlin. I saw the whole show from backstage and... 
And I learned a great deal. Jim Norwood, what on earth are you talking George about? George Bellman and I have talked the whole thing over. In a way, Janice, there is an invisible man. I can tell you who he is and how he works. But there's no danger, do you understand? There's no danger at all. If... Jim, what was that? I don't know. You do know. I can see it in your face. You do know. I think somebody's fallen. Fallen? From the top of the belfry. Oh, fire! Stay here, Janice. You can't do any good. Let go of my arm. I'm going up there. Oh, you're not. I didn't think what the danger might be. Besides, there's somebody coming down the stairs now. Stay just where you are and don't move until... Oh, Father. Father, are you all right? Steady, sir. Take it easy now. I'm perfectly all right, yes. But you'd better go into the churchyard and see to him, he... He fell? No, Janice, he did not fall. He was thrown. Oh. Thrown? By whom? There's no time to argue now. You're a doctor. Go out and see to him. Well, is he in... I don't know. Go. Yes, sir. For I will work a deed in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. Janice, this is incredible. Why? You heard the bell ring. I saw it ring. Without anybody there? I was as close to that bell as I am to you now. No hand held the rope. There were no strings or wires or any tricks to make it move. Yet it clanged back and forth alone in the tower. And I thought I heard someone laugh. Laugh? Oh, don't take that too seriously. We were both overwrought and the noise of the bell was deafening. What about Mr. Emmett? Emmett yelled some words I couldn't hear and lunged for the bell. Then something caught him. Something caught him and gave him a sledgehammer blow in the back. That bell is nothing but open arches. You heard him scream. I saw his face just before he went over. Lock the door to the tower, Father. Lock it. I can't lock it. Emmett has the key. But why should I lock it? Because he's still in there. He? He hadn't done any harm before, but he's done harm now. There's no telling what might happen if he gets loose. You mean? I mean Professor Ansmith's protege, whoever he is. The man without a body. Under the red sunset, some quarter of a mile away, a grass-carpeted lane winds between rows of apple trees. The lane is dusky. Though lights shine into it from the windows of a large stone house. Dr. Norwood's house beyond the apple trees. Up and down. Up and down a shadowy figure is pacing. An elderly figure. A dejected figure. Tall and frail as a shadow among shadows. Muttering to itself. Shaking its head. Now and then raising one fist in bewilderment or anguish. Sometimes the light gleams on large spectacles and a kindly mouth. Up and down. Endlessly up and down strides Professor Ansmith. I'm not guilty. I'm not guilty. How can I convince them that I'm not guilty? Who's there? I saw you dodge behind that tree. S stand out, sir. Uh, did you call me Professor Ansmith? Yes, I did call you. Who are you? You probably won't recognize me, Professor Ainsley. Nevertheless, my friend, may I ask what your name is? Uh, my name is Wellman, Professor George Wellman. Wellman, Wellman. I've heard that name. Maybe you have. I'm a builder by trade and a great friend of Dr. Norwood's. Wait one moment. Aren't you the young man whose firm is putting up these air raid shelters along the seawall? And making such an unholy din with your riveting machines? That's me. And come to think of it, aren't you the one who first started this alarm about an invisible man? Yes, because I met him. 
You did not meet him, sir. This whole thesis is scientific nonsense, and I won't have it. Uh, you won't have what? I'm an old man, Mr. Wellman. I never did anybody the least harm. As God is my judge, I know nothing whatever about this, this... What's that? It looks like the vicar's car, Professor. You'd better stand back. This is a pretty narrow lane. Ansmith! Professor Ansmith! Yes, Mr. Morley, I hear you. Well, we thought you'd better drive over here straight away. I, I think you've met my daughter. And, of course, you know Dr. Norwood. Yes, but there's no time for any social formalities. Get into your house, Professor Ansmith. Get in quickly and close the shutters. But why should I do that? Because there's a mob coming, sir, and we can't stop them. Hurry, do hurry. A mob coming here? Why? Haven't you heard the news? I've heard nothing, my friend. The only person I've seen has been that young man there who chews a toothpick and hides behind the trees. George Wellman? What on earth are you doing here? Uh, watching, Janice. Watching and waiting, just as usual. Listen to me, Professor Ansmith. Henry Emmett, the head verger at St. Luke's, was thrown from the belfry window not 20 minutes ago. Not by me, sir, I assure you. I had nothing to do with no, it. No, not by you, but apparently by the invisible man. Oh, Father in heaven, will this never stop? Not till we catch the fellow. No, be quiet, Mr. Bowman, please. Uh, I'm sorry, Padre, I take it back. I myself can testify that no visible person laid hands on Emmett. He was struck, struck as though with a gigantic fist. What's the matter, Professor Ansmith? Is anything wrong? No, 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 no. I, I, I was just thinking. Is Emmett dead? Fortunately, no. I'm glad of that, my friend, for a certain person's sake. He's not even seriously hurt. The bell tower isn't high and a tree broke the force of his fall. But he's badly shaken up. And that crowd at the coach and horses means trouble. If you haven't anything to say to us, if you haven't a word of explanation to utter... Listen, Padre, don't you hear anything? Yes, I thought I heard voices. Can't be that crowd from the village. We're too far ahead of them. It's a crowd, all right. And they've been here for hours. But where? I don't see anybody. Jim, look, behind the trees. Look behind the trees. Look be beyond the hedgerows. Look for any place where a watcher can hide. And may I ask what they're doing here? They're watching you, Professor Ensmith. More of your spies, you mean? You can call them anything you please. But they're getting impatient and they want to show down. If I as much as hold my hand up like this... What's that? Don't throw stones at the windows, you fool! You'll only break the doctor's window! Gentlemen, I can't have any more of this. Be quiet, all of you, and listen to me. Well, sir, we're listening. I'm a peaceful man. I like to live in peace with my neighbors. I have nothing to do with this so-called reign of terror... But you don't believe that, do you? No. Then I must expose a fraud. Now, don't blame me if I expose the trickster, too. I have made preparations to show you the invisible man. The man without a body. Quiet, everybody! Mr. Morley, I believe you and your daughter walked through this lane last night uh, while I was away at the Berry St. Edmunds. I don't know about your being away, sir. My daughter and I were certainly here, yes. Good, good. Miss Janice Morley. Yes, Professor Ansmith. Will you look toward your right, please, at the house? 
What do you see? It's the same room. What room? The room with the little round table and the gramophone. It's a three-legged table, you notice. Yes, of course. But there's nobody in the room. No, nobody at all. Are conditions exactly as they were last night? Yes, except there aren't any gloves on the table. No, but the invisible man is there. Oh. A living presence, ready to act and breathe and even kill. Even kill? With your permission, I shall now address him. Hello in there. Hello in there. Hello in there. If anybody answers him, Father, I'm going to scream. Quiet, Janice, quiet. Father, look. The gloves are appearing on the table. I call out to him and I speak as follows. Hold the phonograph with your left glove. That's it. Turn the handle with your right. One turn, two, three, four. That's enough. Touch the spring with your left hand. Push the record. Lower the needle with your right and... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the invisible man. I think I do. The legs of the table form a triangle with its point towards you. Panels of looking glass are fitted in the two sides facing you. What do you know about that? You think you can see under the table, but what you actually see are the side walls of the room reflected in those two mirrors. Oh, wait a minute. You mean... I mean that my old servant, hidden behind the mirrors, has just been working the gloves to a panel in the tabletop. It's a very old trick, first shown by Colonel Stadare at the London Polytechnic. And that's what happened last night? Yes. And you had nothing to do with it? Nothing whatever, nor had my servant. Then who did do it and why? What is the explanation of all this? Well, I can't tell you why. That's what beats me. But I can tell you everything else. This invisible man who's been scaring us all silly? My dear young lady, there's no invisible man. There never has been. I might believe that, Professor Ansmith, if I hadn't seen a church bell ringing where there was no hand to ring it. And poor old Emmett flung out of the tower as though a giant hand had got hold of him. You're not saying that was done with the looking glasses? No, my friend, not at all. That was really clever. Strings? Wires, ropes? No, they weren't necessary. But the thing's impossible. Oh, no. <clears throat> the same principle was used by my old friend J.N. Maskelin to make mechanical figures work. Psycho played whist, and Zoe drew pictures. I myself, I... Go on, sir. You yourself, what are you going to say? Uh, the secret I was about to say remains unknown even today. You were right, in a way, when you tell us that Emmett acted as though a giant had got hold of him. A giant had got hold of him. At least, a gigantic force. Oh, before we all go completely mad, would you mind telling us what this gigantic force was? Not at all. It was compressed air. Compressed air? But don't you see it even yet, any of you? No. 
A compressed air pipe with a thousand pounds pressure behind it was run up into the tower facing the bell. It could be operated from the ground outside. The pressure was turned on and off in bursts. It made that heavy bell swing like a toy. Emmett, don't you remember? Emmett rushed forwards towards the bell. And the air pressure? The air pressure struck him like a sledgehammer and flung him headlong out of the tower. There's your miracle, gentlemen. That's all there was to it. Sir, I can't doubt what you say. It's too circumstantial and too right. But, but what, my friend? The compressed air tanks. The mechanical apparatus to work this trick. Well, what about it? Where did it come from? Such things don't grow on bushes. No, but they do grow on riveting machines. Riveting machines? Yes, such as the riveting machine they're using on the air raid shelters along the seawall. Would you care to tell us, Dr. James Norwood, why you and your friend Wellman have been playing all these tricks? Jim Norwood, is this true? Why, of course it's true, Mr. Morley. Don't be so gullible. Jim and George Wellman doing all this? I don't believe it. Take a look at their faces, young lady. Did you ever see a guiltier-looking pair? So we look guilty, do we? Frankly, you do. We played the whole game and convinced the village there was an invisible man. Is that it? Yes. You worked the glove trick in your own house. And Wellman worked the air trick with his own equipment. Everything else was nothing but a pack of lies and a lot of atmosphere. Playing conjurers and making a blasted hash of it. Is that all, Professor Ann Smith? Well, remember, you brought this on yourself. I didn't want to expose you. No, Professor. I bet you didn't. Easy, George. Take it easy. Jim, is this true? Before you start pitching into me, Janice, let me have my word first. Do you remember what I said to you at the church tonight? At the church? Yes, I asked you to remember something, even if you didn't understand it. All right. Can you remember what it was? Oh, Jim, please. You're only trying to evade this. Oh, I, I'm so confused now, I don't remember anything. All I can think of is this horrible business and what's behind it. Father can't believe his ears, and I'm not much better. We've practically idolized you. All we want you to do is answer a straight question. Jim, are these accusations true? Yes, they are true. <laughs> Doubtless he had a good reason, Janice. Doubtless, he had a good reason. Yes, we had a good reason. The very best reason in the world. You had a good reason for scaring people half to death and trying to kill poor old Henry Emmett? We didn't mean any harm against Emmett. That was an accident. But you dare to defend yourself now? Yes, just that. Before we go home, Father, shall we apologize to Professor Ann Smith? I hope he'll try to think better of English hospitality. Good, Janice, good. I hope he will, too. You hope he will. Listen, Janice, before you act on any belief, you have to be absolutely sure in your own mind. George and I have to prove something, and now I'm glad to say we have proved it. Oh, I can't stand this any longer. If you have anything to say, go on and say it straight out. What was it you had to prove? We had to prove to our own satisfaction that this pretended American who calls himself Professor Ann Smith... Pretended American? Who calls himself Professor Ann Smith? We had to prove that this pretended American was no other than Karl Heinrich von Keist, the celebrated oh. stage magician from the winter garden theater in Berlin. What? Whose real job is to find the camouflage aerodrome near Bury St. Edmunds. No. He explained his own tricks very nicely, George. We'll swear out a warrant in the morning. 
And so closes The Man Without a Body, starring John Sutton and George Zuko. Tonight's tale of... Suspense. This is your narrator, The Man in Black, who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense with us again next Tuesday when the distinguished actress, Miss Agnes Moorhead, will be heard in one of her many brilliant characterizations. Starring with Miss Moorhead will be Miss Ellen Drew, who as Carol Linden tells the amazing story of Uncle Henry's Rosebush. The producer of these broadcasts is William Spear, with Ted Bliss, the director, Bernard Herman and Lucian Mahowick, conductor and composer, and John Dixon Carr, the author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hi, everyone. Hope you enjoyed our episodes from the classic old radio show, Suspense. If you're enjoying 1001 Stories from Roy's Diner, please do take a moment and send us a review. We appreciate reviews. They tell us how much you enjoyed the show and where you come from. We're once a week now, and we'll return next Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.